Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch and one that will prove to be a very popular one at this point in time in our society as we go through so much stress, uncertainty, anxiety. So today I'm joined by peak performance expert, DNA enthusiast, and my very good friend, Alessandra Edwards. Now, for those of you who don't know who Alessandra is, she has over a decade experience as a clinical nutritionist and nutrigenomic specialist. She has studied everything from health science, clinical nutrition, she's uh, studied Ayurvedic medicine, yoga, and she has a postgraduate professional certificate in genetics and genomics from Stanford University. And let me tell you, this lady walks the talk as well. I've known her for a few years now, and she lives and breathes what she coaches. So over the years, I know she has helped hundreds of senior executives and I know across some of Australia's biggest companies and government agencies. And uh, she is ultimately, you know, a peak performance expert. She knows how to get corporate athletes to peak performance levels. And she does this by harnessing the power of their individual DNA. Now, at a higher branch, Alessandra is a much-loved faculty member. And she's attended both Upgrade Your Life events and has appeared in several podcast episodes. So I thought it was time to invite her back to our podcast channel to discuss the very important topics of stress, anxiety, and sleep from a very unique perspective. I promise you, you are going to get a lot out of this. And during our chat, Alessandra goes into detail about how stress is actually impacting us mentally and physically. But more importantly, she shares some really practical tips on how to manage anxiety and sleeping patterns. And uh, because often we don't know what's causing which is which. Is it the sleep disturbance or the lack of good quality sleep causing our anxiety? Or is it the anxiety causing lack of sleep? And we can get caught into this loop. But what Alessandra shares will break that negative loop, that negative pattern, and empower you to take control of your stress levels. And what I love most about this podcast as well is that she teaches us the magic of saying no without feeling guilty every time. So this episode is not only powerful, but highly, highly insightful and one that will completely radically change your approach to stress, anxiety and sleep. So sit back, listen and enjoy. And Alessandra, so welcome to the podcast once again. Fantastic. I so love these. So I was absolutely pumped and excited when you asked me to come here again. I love our conversations. They don't feel like, you know, some podcasts can feel like so um, premeditated. I love that we always end up in some weird and wonderful place. So (laughs) let's see what (laughs) we end up today. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, before in preparation for this podcast, I was in the car listening to a podcast. We recorded our very first podcast where I asked you what the biggest mistakes that most people made. And uh, one I completely remembered. I have not forgotten it. And it was just a good reminder and a good kickoff to remind everyone that's listening at the moment that uh, not to make these, you didn't call them mistakes. You called them assumptions. 
One is that just because you're good at your job or you're good at your craft doesn't mean that you're good at managing your life or life strategy or nutrition or sleep performance or you know uh, supplementation or movement so always always be learning and listening and you know seeking help from people uh, that are better at that stuff than you are and the second assumption is that you're not 21 and uh, for the whole of your life your stress threshold your stress tolerance changes and uh, so in this the podcast today, Alessandra, I've read your blogs recently that you've been focusing on and completely fascinated with some of these uh, topics. So what we have to talk about today is completely new for anyone that's listening. This is, uh, this is a thought leadership at its finest. And I know, Alessandra, you've been um, in isolation in Victoria where you're under complete lockdown and that's uh, obviously brought out some uh, great thought leadership from you. So uh, I have to say, it feels a little bit like I'm a huge Monopoly fan. I feel like I have landed on the jail <laughs> car <laughs> and I keep throwing the dice and I just can't get the double to get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, the question is, do you want to get out? Sometimes you, you want to stay in jail, don't you, in Monopoly? Well, look, we've made it a comfortable jail. Um, I, was, I was telling you just before we got on the podcast of this uh, little fun thing that... Um, I, you know, you know, I'm an executive coach, you know, I know that I, I coach leaders and, and teams. So I've actually taken some of my professional coaching IP and applied it to the team in my household uh, when, and this might be useful for some of your uh, listeners, whether for their home or also for their professional teams. I just noticed that there was starting to be a decrease in performance. <laughs> Yeah. In, the, in the family team and this was coming out in the same way as it's coming out in teams right now whether in you know in lockdown or uh new south wales or other states like there is definitely a, a covid fatigue that's that's coming across and so i was noticing this and this looked like this so um my husband was getting quite irritable right a bit short uh, the kids, I noticed their motivation for school performance and doing well at school was really waning. There was a general sense of energy depletion in the house. So generally we're quite a vibrant household. We do lots of sports, lots of activities. We're very social. And it's almost like someone had taken a dimmer switch of the Edwards family vitality and just turned it right down. Now, through the work I do and the knowledge I have also of my family, you know, we've all done genetic testing. I know that, um, you know, some people in the family tend to go towards the low mood and the low dopamine. Yes. So I utilize this tool, which is basically what I call it. It's a dopamine hacking chart that I use with teams. But for them, I called it the isolation joyfulness chart. So I got the kids to take four weeks of the, the lockdown and come up with um, one joyfulness moment each for every day. So in total, they came up with 80 between them. Wow. Eight zero. Yep. Eight zero. Eight zero. And they, they did it and they created this beautiful, colorful chart and it's taken sort of, um, you know, um, center stage on our fridge in the kitchen. And now every day, even at nighttime, they go and check what's happening tomorrow. And so this is a reminder that, you know, 
the great thing about dopamine, we tend to think of it as the neurotransmitter of motivation, but actually is the neurotransmitter of um, anticipatory excitement. So it's the anticipation of something good and happy and exciting happening. So because we can't really leave the house, these all have to be home-based. And they've, they've come up with really creative things. Um, so things, for example, like, um, you know, for my youngest son, having a family um, Scar Electrics championship, right? Um, then he wants to uh, have exclusive access to the cats one day so you can dress them up, which is normally not allowed to do. Um, my daughter wanted to have the ability some days to uh, bake a cake and eat as much of it as she wanted. Um, some days they had cut school or swap certain activity school they didn't like with, you know, an hour of iPad. So they've been really ingenious in coming up with lots of things that normally they wouldn't be allowed to do. And so there is that sense of, wow, this is really special. And it's worked incredibly well. I have a number of friends who have, you know, children. And uh, um, by doing this, their moods have remained really high. So that's a little thing for you. I absolutely love that. Um, one, for my household, I'm looking forward to implementing that. Uh, but also how it could apply in the workplace as well. 50% of our staff are still working from home, but the other 50% are back in the office. And uh, there are some people just don't like working from home. Absolutely. Uh, not, not everyone has adapted well because, again, it's, I, what I've found um, you know, throughout this whole period is the people who at genetic level tend to be sort of the low dopamine producers did incredibly well in the initial stages of working from home because there was this disruption to the routine. So yeah. everything was a bit new and was a bit exciting. And then what happened is that within three weeks, they plateaued. And they are the people now who are really struggling because of you know, um, lack of the social connection and having the variety even getting to and from the office, uh, having the social connection in the office and just doing stand-up meetings and Zooms is just not quite enough. So they, it's... I find it fascinating how we are all so unique and how we've run this incredible experiment across our country. And I'm hearing very different observations from leaders in terms of people in their team. So people who um, they thought were high performers, all of a sudden, some of them have gone AWOL and you know, they're, they're not showing up. They're just not, they started to work below the line. Whereas others that they felt were kind of being dragged along a little bit, have really shown themselves to be very capable of self-agency when it comes to organizing their routines, working from home. Uh, so I, I find, I mean, I think from a psychological perspective, we're going to look back in a few years and there will be so much data that we can mine around this to understand really how we create high performance for ourselves and for our teams. Fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, have you found that stress levels, um, well, th is there a correlation between stress, anxiety, and what is happening uh, at the moment? Have thresholds changed, tolerance levels dropped? Because uh, even before COVID, people, you know, had a lot of stresses in their lives. And this is something we want to, I want to talk about uh, today. So just to recap, we want to talk about, uh, Alessandra, uh, I want to download your knowledge on stress, something, uh, stress eating, something you call lonely mouth syndrome, uh, 
And this is happening to a lot of people who are working from home. <laughs> they're, they're, they're stress eating because a few of them have confessed to me because I Zoom with some of them and I'll say, oh, wow, you put on a lot of weight. <laughs> they, you know, I'm very honest. And they say, yes, I've been eating a lot. <laughs> I think it's uh, called the COVID plus five. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that that's now how it's been branded. So as long as we within the five kilos, that's acceptable. I think that's the average. So it's the COVID plus five. <laughs> it's a thing, is it, in Victoria? It's a thing. It's a thing. Right. Yeah, Victorians <laughs> are always very clever coming up with that. Yeah. <laughs> Comical um, things. Anyway, um, the other thing I want to talk about is something that I do, and uh, that is revenge bedtime procrastination, I think you call it. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> the more tired I am, you know, the more I just stay up and delay anyway. So we'll talk about sleep because we've recorded a great podcast on sleep together, which has been extremely popular because I, I still consider sleep to be even more important than nutrition and exercise. Also, we want to talk, uh, if you don't mind, if we have time, I want to talk about uh, chronic inflammation or, uh, you know, or what you call the COVID-19 brain. And, uh, you know, what is it? I want to talk about diet, some exercise and um, anything else uh, where the conversation takes us. But if we can just uh, start with stress then, what is lonely mouth syndrome? You know, what are, what are the signs and symptoms? How do, you, how do we know that we have it? Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I think that if you recognize yourself when I said the COVID plus five, it's very likely that you have lonely mouth syndrome and, and that's okay. And uh, look, the original term is actually, I'm probably not going to do it justice. I've got terrible Japanese pronunciation, but I think it's pronounced kuchisabishi and it's a, it's a Japanese word. I love Japanese culture and I love how um, they have this incredible ability to zoom into these little human um, idiosyncrasies that we all have and then giving it a name. And then you read the description, you go, wow, that is so accurate. So what lonely mouth syndrome is, is basically, and this has been really amplified, yeah, as you said, because we're working from home and the actual physical distance, a so number of steps of kilometers <laughs> to the fridge has been drastically short. <laughs> shortened <laughs> so it's not that all of a sudden covid has induced the lonely mouth syndrome it's just it was already there it's just it's been facilitated by the proximity <laughs> to to the fridge and particularly if you are in states where or or cities where there is a strict lockdown there's really very little that you can do <laughs> after you've had your hour outside to create a little bit of variety to to your routine so Lonely mouth syndrome is basically that phenomenon where you know you're not hungry and yet you feel a sense of, I need to feel a hole or a gap inside. Mm -hmm. So it, it, we, we can, you know, in, in, in Australia, we'll call it being peckish, but it's actually more than being peckish. It's a sensation of a magnetic pull to go uh, roaming and into the fridge or into the cupboard and just having that, I, I like to make that sound, what is it? I'm looking for something, but I can't quite figure out what it is. Yeah. And then you might, you know, you might pick a couple of crackers or a piece of cheese, or usually you don't gravitate towards the fruit bowl and go, oh, I'm going to have a kiwi and see whether that hits the spot. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so, so usually it's quite, you know, high calorie, you know, nutrient dense foods that give us that little bit of a hit, that mouthfeel. So usually they're quite sugary or high fat foods. And then you eat and you think, okay, well, that should be okay. But actually, you just want more. Yeah. So it's this idea that actually what we're trying to fill is not really our stomach. Yeah. It's something else. And it, it can be triggered by boredom. Uh, you know, it can be triggered by, yes, of course, you know, working from home or uh, being in social isolation, all those kinds of things can trigger it. But I actually, I've, I've done a lot of thinking around this and a lot of conversations with clients through the last decade around this particular behavior. And I really think that uh, what lonely mouth syndrome is, is um, a superficial uh, expression and manifestation of uh, a lack of connection to self. Okay. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. When you say that, do you mean like you're living in your head rather than in your body? That that can be part that can be part of it. So for some of us, you know, genetically we are the thinkers. So we're all in the brain, we're all in the mind. We, you know, tend to, um, you know, on the positive side, we've got incredible thinking capacity. Um, these are usually the business owners, the CEOs, the entrepreneurs, or you know, the mom entrepreneurs and um, people that generally have busy agendas and can strategize. Um, on the downside, we're under a lot of pressure those people tend to go to the extreme of mental activity. So here come the rumination, the obsessive thinking, not being able to fall asleep at night, or you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and you start thinking about your to-do list or what you need to tell your client, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, so for some people, it can be very much a cerebral kind of shutdown. For other people, it doesn't have to be quite so extreme. And it could be that they're more heart-based people, so they live more at an emotional level. But they, uh, for a number of different reasons, are not giving themselves permissions to connect with the true self. And so there's a little bit of this kind of masking of, you know, if, you, if we were to think of the essence of us as a person that has needs and wants, and it's separate from the thinking person where we reside, yeah, it, it would be the equivalent of basically not listening to this person that's on the inside. And so when this person becomes insistent in terms of their needs not being met, then they start to basically kick up a fuss a bit like, you know, toddler tantrums, trying to get attention. And so we get pulled into... Um, these behaviors, whether it's filling the lonely mouth or um, whether it's, you know, starting drinking at four o'clock in the afternoon now that we're working from home and keep drinking to make us feel calm. For some people, it could be also behaviors that are generally considered positive and healthy, like exercising, but then they will go into over-exercising. So they need to, you know, keep constantly active and doing that, right? Um, it could also be, uh, you know, lonely mouth syndrome could be related not to food, could be related to being a workaholic. Uh, there, there's a big difference between, you know, working uh, with absolute passion and purpose to working just with effort and drive, yeah? You can, you can hear, like, even with the words passion and purpose, they're very self-rejuvenating, mm -hmm. yeah? 
Um, the other is, is more like something that we need to do to fill this sense of void. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's, is it stressful or is it subjective? Uh, I mean, is it bad? Like for someone that's uh, really thin like me, uh, I, you know, like eating is, is a good thing, right? Because yeah. whenever I, I get that sense of I'm in my, in my head, in my head, and I get peckish, mm-hmm. I tend to then put my joggers on to neutralize that feeling and yeah. go for a jog. Uh, but is lonely mouse syndrome then, uh, I mean, is it a negative if it's perceived to be a negative? Is it such a bad thing? I, I, re- I love this question. I love that you always ask questions that actually make me think during the podcast um, rather than kind of mirroring stuff back at me. It's really great. I really love that. Um, so, look, I, I think that um, with all of, all of these behaviours, um, we can see them as and perceive them as, oh, that is bad. So, you know, here comes more shame. Here comes more guilt. Yeah. Uh, here comes more self-beating. And um, you know that, you know, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, I think that sort of we can see it as bad in the sense more that it might not be useful. Yeah. So okay. it's a little bit like saying, okay, well, there is a leak somewhere. Yes. Yeah. So there's a leak in the house somewhere and instead of addressing the leak, yeah, what I'm doing is I'm going to get the window cleaners in. Yeah. So it it might not be, it just might not be useful. So in terms of uh, the eating behavior, for example, um, you might feel better temporarily, but then that void is still there because we haven't really addressed that internal voice with that internal need. And um, with it can come also a sense of guilt and shame um, if we are eating constantly. I mean, at the moment, our gut microbiome with the uh, reduction in exposure in touch between humans and reduction in travel and exposure to different bacteria, already our gut microbiome is suffering. If we then have this onslaught of foods that are not you know, high in fiber, um, and what we're doing is just eating camembert straight out of the fridge, you know, or <laughs> that that's my go-to for lonely mouth, by the way, it's, it's usually cheese. It's not lollies, but it, it, yeah, <laughs> exactly for you. Right. Um, so again, we can see that from that point of view is not going to serve us. So it's a behavior that initially helps and it's okay to do it now and then, but if that has become the only way for us, to deal with the discomfort that is sitting under the surface, then I think it is not useful because the body and our minds are so, so clever at working out whether the needs have been met or not. And so what happens is that it might be lonely mouth syndrome, you know, with, um, you know, a bit of honey or, you know, uh, um, some cookies, but after a while, that might not be enough again. And so there will be other behaviors, yeah, that might be even less useful and that might detract from your vitality, from um, your sense of self-worth, from your ability to do outstanding work even more. Okay, so how do you, how do you then overcome uh that urge what, what do you do when you if someone's listening right now and they're working from home and they say oh look, you've just described me yeah how can they short circuit that what what can they start doing to overcome that yeah. um 
uh, obviously, you know, there's a primary, there's a primary issue there that's triggering it. And yes, in the short term, what you're saying is that you can fill that void by eating, stress eating, uh, but uh, there has to be a day of reckoning, right? So what's the better way to deal with that? Or is that a whole topic on its own? So a better way of dealing with that, um, and again, it doesn't mean that we have to be 100% consistent. Um, I think that having dogmatic rules is not useful. Um, I used to be very dogmatic. And, um, you know, the more I work with people and the more experienced I I become at helping people um, achieve their best selves, the more I really realize that actually having a stick does not work very well in the long term. So a more resourceful approach might be, first of all, start watching yourself. And I, I don't mean like, you know, seeing yourself. I mean, start really feeling your body. Yeah. And it's something that you could do in the moment. So you could perhaps have a reminder, you know, near your laptop, the wall behind uh, your workstation, and you could just write down lowly mouth syndrome so that when you look up and you're about to go to the fridge, you have a reminder, a visual cue to get you to stop for a minute and pause. And noticing your thoughts. Yep. Noticing that, okay, oh, I've got that pull that, so normally it's automatic. Yeah, we'll just start going. And we're thinking about something else. We don't even realize that that's what we're doing. So that's the first thing. So that helps us to pause. Take a, cup, a couple of breaths and get inside your body. So the, the, the best way that we know from an evidence perspective is actually doing um, different mindfulness exercises. So uh, that could be like a, a body scan, for example, that can be really useful. Uh, that could be something like, um, you know, focusing on the heart center part of the body. So in, in the chest, if that's where you feel, that's where you feel emotions most of the time. For some people it's more the throat, for some it's more the gut. And just observe without judgment, what that feeling that you're experiencing is. And also observe, um, you know, physical changes. Is your heart beating fast? Are you feeling quite tight in the chest? Um, is your gut uh, rumbling? Is it feeling bloated? Is there, are you holding your tummy in? All these things. So observe them as if you would um, someone else's body. Yeah. So be quite objective with it. And then really try and come up with the, with the word. What is it that you're feeling? Is it, is it hunger? It might be genuine hunger. Or is it more boredom? Yeah. Is it more um, fear? Perhaps you were triggered by uh, an email that came through or you've just put the phone down and had a conversation or perhaps you've just attended a, um, you know, a, a meeting with the team and someone said something not overtly aggressive but in a passive-aggressive way and at the time you didn't realise that it kind of got you and upset you. And then it's manifesting as lonely mouth syndrome. So just be with yourself. I find it really amazing that, you know, even though we, many of us are working from home, we're still as busy as we were before. Yeah. So stress levels are still pretty high and our heads are still so full. So just getting those couple of minutes to be with self. And then it means that you are in control or you have a choice. 
You can still choose to go to the fridge, but that will be your choice rather than an automatic behavior. So I'm more for helping people becoming their CEOs, not just in their office, but also the CEO themselves. Um, if If you imagined yourself um, as someone who literally had no freedom and, you know, as Australians now, I mean, particularly Victorians, we started to feel what that could be like, right? Living in countries where you have no say, you know, the, 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 the army has been deployed. Yeah. Uh, the government has extraordinary powers and regardless of the political thing, whether, you know, I believe is the right thing to do, but what I'm saying is a lot of our personal freedoms have been, taken away and this is creating a lot of debate online and in the news but yet we are all victims to all these automated behaviors in which we have no say whatsoever and we just don't bat an eyelid we let it all happen to us without having a discussion wow that is so thought-provoking that's very very powerful that you identified that that is really really cool you're right yeah, that's right. Because we're slaves. Personal freedom. Yeah. Yeah, and so we. So I think it's really important to for us to locate where the handcuffs are. Yeah, yeah. because we all have many, and um, many of these have come from childhood. We have been modelled behaviours, mindsets, uh, worldviews by parents, family, uh, mentors, people we looked up to. Um, we continue to do so, you know, yeah. when we read the, the media or we allow influencers' thoughts to get inside our head and we make those our own. So there's all these kind of shackles and handcuffs all over ourselves. And I think that um, particularly right now, you know, I, I keep talking about that a lot of my clients are in Victoria and they are, Um, very very stressed about the lockdown and I keep saying you know what the only lockdown that you need to focus on is the one in your head yes absolutely that That is so powerful that is the biggest takeaway (laughs) you know we could finish the podcast right now and have me thinking about this for hours because if people uh, remind themselves of that very point they will focus on the things that they can control And when you focus on the things that you can control within yourself, look within, as the cliche says, then you feel a lot more empowered. And then suddenly you have a a greater sense of freedom uh, because the freedoms are within. It's a mindset. Um, So if you focus on the restrictions of the freedoms externally, you're going to feel trapped. But the, the biggest injustice, like you said, is the one that you're dealing yourself and honestly, there's so many examples that we, we can go into. Uh, and this is almost like a psychological tangent, but it, it is a huge element of the stress that people are feeling uh, right this uh, moment. So th- that's a really big takeaway. Thank you, Alessandra. Huge. Yeah, pleasure. Pleasure. Um, the, the other thing that I think is um, perhaps not totally linked to this, but it's in parallel to this is also... Um, and I wonder if you know many of your listeners know this that we this is a scientific fact we know that we tend to change our memories and the meaning of a memory mm-hmm. of events to fit our current you know values and our current sense of identity and I mentioned this because um, 
a lot of the conversations I'm having are around, you know, perhaps what was happening with the bushfires, you know, earlier in the year, or there's a lot of comparison with the first wave of lockdown yeah. um, compared to the to the second one. And really when, and, and it was really palpable. I know, you know, many of your listeners are in New South Wales, so I don't know if you've had this, this experience, but here uh, this shift was really palpable when the Victorian government announced, uh, I think it was after two weeks that we were in stage three of restrictions, um, which were pretty much the same as now, but they announced stage four. And really stage four is not a lot of difference. You know, there's some difference, but it's not a lot of difference for most people. Literally felt like the the state's mood just plummeted immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I remember that, yeah. Right, and and... And I was walking around and and I remember waking up the next day actually feeling, I'm usually a very positive person, feeling quite heavy. And I was trying to work out why am I feeling like this? I'm feeling quite sad. I'm feeling grief. And then it really hit me. It was just this, um, almost like this massive psychosis, yeah, Um, which is not helped by the communication in the media, how they, they frame things to go, oh my God, we're in stage four lockdown. And it's like, well, let's write down the differences. And actually very little has changed in the last 24 hours other than how we're interpreting this. And so we keep filtering stuff as we go. Um, You know, longer memories and shorter memories we every day we put basically different colored glasses and we see meaning that was not really there. Yes, that's right. And we do it in so many areas in our life. Absolutely. Yeah. And this increases stress, you know, this increases stress level. So, you know, you started the podcast mentioning, um, I think one of my blogs when I talked about how we can become stronger and, um, and I think I was highlighting the difference between, you know, having a, the stress threshold, which is, you know, which is linked to the pain threshold, basically. So stress threshold is um, what the, the minimum amount of intensity of stress that we can notice. And I really believe that to get stronger, and I don't mean just physically stronger, I mean stronger in the sense where we are truly walking through life with this personal sense of freedom and agency, regardless of what happens around it, yep. is to increase our levels of um, you know, stress tolerance. So how much we can bear, basically. Yeah. And this is a big topic for a lot of the senior executives and the entrepreneurs and, mm-hmm. uh, that I talk, uh, talk with. They just say, like, I'm getting older, but how do I build my tolerance to stress? Because the stress is not going to go away. And I'm not going to go away, so something's got to give. And the only thing is to improve my tolerance to it. So how do we build our stress tolerance? Yeah. Um, so from my perspective, I really believe that we can increase it by starting small. It's a little bit like going to the gym. Yeah, you're not going to start off with a 100-kilo deadlift if it's the first time or, you know, you haven't been to the gym in years. You'll start off by using just body weight, yeah, and doing functional movements. So it's exactly the same. We can't expect ourselves to be masters of adaptability if we haven't basically followed the gym program 
of resilience, right? Yeah. Um, and the way we do this, so from my perspective, you know, I'm always very based on the physical reactivity, the biological reactivity. I think that mind body, you know, I work with Dr. Amy Silva, so I truly believe that mind and body are, you know, the two faces of the same coin. Um, but I think it's really useful to start from a physical perspective because often it's easier than yeah. the psychological aspect, yeah? Um, because it takes us out of the head and into the body. Yes. So um, you've actually written about this before. Um, I remember reading an article uh, by you, I think it might've been a year ago, even a couple of years ago, where you were actually talking about, um, I can't remember the title, but it was around fasting, yeah? So fasting from different things. Yes. And uh, there's a lot of evidence around this that if you like at times of non-stress, what we can do is basically start exposing ourselves to small doses of physiological stress. And by applying the same mindfulness techniques that I mentioned earlier to basically watch the reaction that occurs in our body. So from my perspective, it could be starting something as simple as time-restricted feeding, for example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So starting to experience a little bit of hunger um, if it's, if you've never done this before, you could start by delaying your breakfast by 30 minutes or 20 minutes and seeing it more with curiosity rather than this is an incredible challenge. Just observe yourself. You're not going to starve yeah, by missing breakfast by an hour yeah. and just watch the signs in your body. What is your body telling you? And what you can start to do then is to start building a catalog of responses so that you can work out basically, it's like a stress thermometer. Yeah. Where am I at on that stress thermometer? Well, right now, you know, I'm starting to get a bit irritable because I haven't eaten, you know, for a certain amount of time. What does this look like? Um, am I starting to feel sweaty? Am I starting to, um, you know, my thoughts are more rushed Am I starting to feel a bit dizzy. Just watch those signs and, See what happens when you then make the decision to recognize and honor those signals that come from the body and going, okay, yes, I can, I can see you are feeling a bit stressed because you're not eating and you're feeling a bit angry. And that is okay. Literally say to yourself, that is okay. I'm still safe. I'm still here. And I still have myself. Yes. That can never be taken away from you. And then you can start experimenting with different kinds of pain. So, you know, the cold shower exposure, for example, yeah, that we talked about last time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know in some of your articles you talked about even sexual abstinence. I mean, many cultures around the world utilize periods of fasting, abstinence, um, you know, intense prayers, so things that are actually really uncomfortable at physical level to do. And I think that because we are so bamboozled all the time by shiny objects, like we become like the classic dog that goes squirrel, squirrel, where is it? Yeah, we are constantly consuming. And so there is no longer any time to sit with self and go, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, probably as a parent, I think we similar generation. I mean, I remember growing up as a kid and having hours of discomfort, like being bored <laughs> out of my skull. And, you know, the parents will go, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> like you're bored, that there's worse things. Yeah. Um, so 
I, I think that we need to regain a little bit of that kind of stoic mentality, yeah, and a little bit of that kind of that that doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah. So building and build and doing it though with kindness and self love and compassion, rather than you get up and give me another fifty push ups or or else, yeah, because that is not done in self love. That is punishment. Yeah, and is designed to make us feel small and shame us and make us feel uncomfortable and keep us in that feeling of scarcity and fear rather than a feeling of regardless of what happens, I am enough. Yeah, I love, I love that you uh, made that point because a lot of people do things out of fear uh, rather than out of love for self. So, you know, they eat well because they fear getting heart disease or fear getting diabetes or whatever it is. But when you do things out of self-love, it's uh, it, it's a different it's a different perspective. It makes you feel good about you know going through periods of abstinence for to build your resilience. Uh, so no, I, lo- I love that distinction. Now, just still on stress, one of the things that uh, I know stresses me a lot is having to say no. Well, it used to stress me, right? So I would never say no to anyone. I would just take on and on and on. Uh, but um, I know you have a very clever way of um, teaching people how to say no. And, and you also have uh, an opinion on whether you need to explain yourself when you say no. <laughs> and, and I love that because I now just, uh, my favourite word is no, and I don't give an explanation anymore, and it's reduced the stress considerably. Yeah. Now, I don't, say, I don't mean saying no to the things that matter, but now it's identifying the things that matter and things that don't and then making sure it's like, it's like this. I used to have clients that were really high maintenance right? mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. They take all my energy and all my attention and away from the clients, you know, that were low maintenance and get, uh, provided a higher return. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, if you don't say no to the high maintenance clients, then you're not going to have a business, right? And it's the same when it comes to your stress levels, right? If you, if you don't say no to the things that stress you out or things that take you away from the things that matter, then the things that matter are going to start depleting in your life, whether it's your relationship or your health uh, or your business. So what is your take on that? I've heard you talk about this uh, topic uh, in the context of stress. Yeah, I love the word no. I think it's so powerful and it's so clean that it's almost like one of those, as they call them, you know, bright line sort of rules that no is no. And there's no, there's actually no need to go beyond that. Um, I think that, um, I mean, many people suffer from sort of, uh, you know, uh, the yes <laughs> addiction to, to saying yes. And I think that um, particularly women, are really socialized into um, pleasing others, yeah, and being of service. I would agree with that, yes. Yeah. And especially when uh, they reach a certain age and if they get to experience uh, motherhood, um, there, is, there is sort of this, if you like, inbuilt evolutionary mechanism that makes women sort of uh, tend towards more being nurturers. But I think that there's something more to it, that um, the yes syndrome for many women is actually driven by a sense, again, of guilt. And that is related to a sense of fear. 
Yes. I think that from a genetic perspective, we can look at it from an evolutionary mechanism and in terms of, um, you know, if you were the one that sort of was creating life and having to, um, you know, look after babies and all of that, there needed to be, you know, other members of the tribe that could look after you. Yeah. So I think that that part of it, there is sort of this ingrained mechanism, but I think that a lot of it is socialized. And uh, many of the professional women I work with are literally, literally digging themselves an early grave. Yes, that's right. And, uh, and in the process are mm. uh, actually losing the, inc- the, the access to the incredible, incredibly powerful female self that they have. Um, I really mean to offend no one, you know, with this description. And I was one of these women, you know, when I worked in corporate. But what this can look like is if, um, you know, if you're a woman and you're in a position of leadership or you're a business owner or an entrepreneur, you have basically high levels of responsibility that your way of leading is very masculine, so, um, and what I mean by this is sort of quite a, an aggressive style and um, leading from the front rather than from the middle. And um, there is a, a real sense of disconnect. And what happens for these women then is um, this is being amplified in the home. Yeah. Um, and so then they feel incredibly stressed. They feel incredibly stretched. Um, they are blaming the lack of support uh, in their lives and they literally feel like they're juggling 15,000 balls and they can't drop any. And so that to give you a little bit of a, of a preamble of how important I think this is. And I think that, again, this stems... It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And, uh, and I think that we don't need to say yes to that it really is i know that some people say oh it's easy for you to say you know i'm on this number of boards and you know i'm running this company i have three kids are being homeschooled but when you actually stop and breathe and you remind yourself of the things that are truly important to you which usually will be on the fingers of one hand the choice and the decision is very very simple it's very simple. Yeah, I always actually go back to uh, my what uh, framework and that is the eight areas of my life. So if it doesn't fit into any one of those or if I'm finding that 24 hours in the day or 16 waking hours isn't enough for all areas of my life, then I start prioritising health, relationship with my partner, family. Fourth is work. Fifth is friendship. Learning is six. Seventh is um, wealth and eighth is charity so to give you an example if i have um, a boardroom meeting or um, uh, and friends call me and say let's go out to lunch for me i put work ahead of friendship right so i say well sorry i have a meeting now if i have uh, if i get invited to and i get invited to sit on boards or uh, provide consultancy you know, I was asked recently to coach uh, someone, uh, which was going to take a lot of my time away from family, away from my relationship with my yeah. wife or away from my time, to, uh, sleep time or, uh, you know, exercise time. I say no. 
I just say no. And I never used to do that before. So COVID has taught me, you know, the art of saying no. And I think I, I acknowledge what you're saying. I think it's a lot harder for women because they have a lot more to say no to. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. for some men, they will be in that position though. So not to totally generalize, but just, that is my experience. And when we say no, the way you've just described it, and especially once you get used to saying it, it becomes a lot easier to feel that by saying no, you're gaining something rather than losing it. Ah, oh, yes. I love that. Yeah, because there is always, there's a fear, isn't there, when you say no? There's a fear of rejection. There's a fear that that person may not like you. Yeah. And so I love... Or missing out on something, a fear yeah. of saying no, missing out on the promotion, um, you know, fear of missing out on a new adventure. But ultimately, when you really develop this relationship with yourself and you are clear on what your purpose is in life and where you're headed and the values around it, it's like having an incredible sieve, you know, so it's either going to stick or it's going to go through. It's, it really is as simple as that. And with that then comes increased space, mental space, increased time, decreased stress levels and a confidence in the fact that you are truly loving yourself. That yeah. is truly what self-love. I love, absolutely love that. So for everyone that's listening, just remember, when you say no to something, you're actually saying yes to something else. Because whatever you say no to has now freed you up in time and energy and attention bandwidth to say yes to the things that matter in your life, like exercising, cooking together with your family, reading to your kids, uh, you know, being intimate with your partner or simply reading a book on your own. One thing that I've recently realized is that, you know, I used to fill every minute, every hour of my day with something productive. It had to be productive. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying no to something for you just to sit on a lounge and drink a tea or enjoy reading a book. Doing nothing is doing something for you because it's reducing your stress level, getting into your body, and that's where life is lived. Life isn't lived always in your head. <laughs> you know, life is most beautiful when there is very minimal stress uh, on you. That's my personal experience. <laughs> anyway, and uh, this is after many years of being a workaholic. Uh, so I'm talking from experience here, guys. But uh, thank you for pointing that distinction, why I wanted to re-emphasize it. So you're not saying no to something, you're saying yes to something else. And that's a very important distinction. A beautiful one at that. You should be a psychologist as well, Alessandra. <laughs> that's gorgeous. And um, to give a little tip around how to say no, because I know that when we are in that fight or flight, really chronic stress, running from A to B and juggling all these balls, yeah. um, just even having that mental space to be able to pause and saying a deliberate no can feel like a, a huge mountain to overcome. So my tip is to utilize a little bit of a stress diminishing hack. And I love, love herbs for this. Um, once you are in a routine and you've made yourself stronger, you've increased your adaptability muscles, you're able to create more space, you will see your, your stress levels, I guarantee, will go down, you know, by at least 30%. 
and then things get easier. But sometimes we just need to have, if you like, a bit of a sledgehammer approach to calm everything down, yeah. particularly because some of us genetically have a very, very fast stress response and have a slow stress breakdown response. Yeah. So we go into emergency mode and then we stay there well past you know, the ambulance is gone, basically. Yeah. So um, so there's a few things. Now, a couple I mentioned in previous podcasts, but just in case people haven't heard them, I'm going to mention them again. Yeah, One is uh, L-theanine. Mm -hmm. And you can just find this on the internet. It's a very natural product. It's um, a green tea extract. And I like to utilize 200 milligram capsules. You can find them in 100 and 200 milligram capsules. I like the 200 milligrams. As I said, I like the sledgehammer approach. It's very, very safe. And um, you can basically, you could take two at once if you're feeling very anxious or stressed. And, and this is fine. If you want to go higher dose, you can. I would double check with your doctor if you're on, um, you know, psychiatric medication. But it's very safe to go up to 600, 800 milligrams a day. But in those dosages, just double check with someone. Um, so theanine basically gives you a uh, immediate relaxation within 20 minutes. It increases GABA levels in the brain and GABA is basically the stress break in the brain. So that that's my absolute favorite. I use it. I um, My philosophy is that when I need to work really hard, I give 100%. But when I finish that work, I don't see why I need to still stay in overdrive and utilize all my stress hormones. So I like, you know, for example, when I give keynotes or I'm doing, you know, a big presentation in a, in a company, then as soon as I'm finished and I notice my heart rate is still up and I'm still feeling buzzing, I take two of the L-theanine just to shut it down. Yeah. Okay. And is it the best time of the day to do that or any time you feel like you need to? You can take it. You can take it any time you feel like doing it. It's useful if you find that stress levels are particularly high for you at night and you're a revenge bedtime procrastinator. We'll, we'll come back to this. We've got a few more minutes. Um, Magnesium, I mentioned this last time, and particularly magnesium glycinate. So again, Google magnesium glycinate. There's lots of different forms of magnesium, but this one comes with an amino acid called glycine, which again is really useful to calm ourselves down, calm the brain. Actually, since our last, uh, you mentioned that in the podcast, I've been taking it religiously ever since, and I absolutely love it. I'm having the best sleeps, as my aura ring tells me. So that was, a, that was a game changer for me, the glycinate form yeah. um, of magnesium. Yeah, great. So different things do different, different kinds of magnesium do different things. Mm. Um, the other thing that I also, um, so I'll give you a little bit of a stack. You don't have to do all of them. You could start with one, see how that works. Also, always make sure that you're looking after the foundational things. You know, I mean, Sam has got such a beautiful program looking at all of these things, but of course, you need, you need to get your sleep, move, eat, you know, breathe, all those things. They're really useful. But initially, just to buy that little bit of space and come do this, okay, and work your way through the stack. Um, the next thing that you might want to look at also is uh, vitamin B6. I see huge depletions of vitamin B6. And without vitamin B6, we can't make serotonin to keep us nice and calm. Um, the genetics of serotonin in terms of not having a lot of serotonin are super common, super, super common. 
And so that might be a double whammy if you've got lonely mouth syndrome and low serotonin because you'll just want to be craving carbohydrate, eating carbohydrates the whole time. And it will be worse in the evening. So you'll be a snack, 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 yeah. um, which, is, which is not useful. And then um, in terms of um, herbal medicine, um, so generally speaking, like most health food shops will have sections that are related to stress management. But I'm just going to mention um, three herbs that um, that you can find. So if you look for those in those combinations, tablets are really fabulous. So one is lavender. So there's quite a bit of uh, evidence, a lot of studies behind lavender in terms of the anti-anxiety effect. So that's really useful. Uh, passion flower also um, really wonderful. Uh, it's got mild sedative effect, but it's not going to make you sleepy. Yeah. And the last one, it really is sort of, if you like, it's more of a big gun. If you really have chronic anxiety, um, it's actually a herb that's been used for centuries in some of the uh, Pacific Islands, uh, and it's called kava. Now, if you're interested in kava, get yourself to a good quality health food shop and speak to the person behind the counter and ask them to recommend you a reputable brand. Um, the other two don't matter so much, but with kava, you really want to have a proper, you know, go with a good Australian brand and they will advise you um, because um, there have been substitutions with, you know, herbs that were not kava before and they cause problems. So, but those three herbs are fantastic and kava is used really successfully with very, very um, chronic kind of uh, non-responsive types of anxiety. I actually uh, had uh, kava once in Fiji, like out of a Oh, did you? Were you actually chewing it? Yeah, and uh, it, knocked yeah, me out. it. <laughs> it knocked me out. I went straight to bed. <laughs> <laughs> that would be super powerful. Yes, yes, it was uh, super powerful. But really, really good uh, supplements there that you mentioned. I, I love all of those. With vitamin B6, um, should you take it away from bedtime? Because uh, I, I remember once taking it around bedtime mm -hmm. with a complex and uh, I had like weird dreams all night. I didn't feel like I got into deep sleep. Yeah. It, yeah. So a, good indication, so a good indication for vitamin B6 is that you actually might um, not be recollecting your dreams or you have a feeling that you don't dream, um, which of course we all do, but some of us don't, don't recall them very well. So if you have poor dream recall, that can be a really good sign that you need vitamin B6. With B vitamins, I generally rec recommend taking them in the morning because there can be sort of these kind of idiosyncratic responses. And so no one wants to, you know, reduce a good night's sleep. Uh, we're trying to do the opposite. So try it in the morning. This is particularly useful for women also who feel incredibly stressed um, sort of the week before uh, the menses. And Blackmores do a just a pure vitamin B6 that you can get from the local chemist. And it works fantastic at reducing sort of that, pre-period, um, you know, anxiety. And, um, so, you know, the one where you're going around wanting to buy people's heads off. By the way, you can't say this as a man. I can say it, but you can't, you can never ever say, <laughs> <laughs> darling, is it that time? <laughs> never. <laughs> it is never that. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Um, what, what is the, uh, the difference between activated B-complex and non-activated? what is better because yeah. I, I noticed so some supplements that now say activated B. Yeah. So it depends on, on the complex. Um, now some activated Bs, particularly vitamin B9, some people can be 
a bit intolerant of the activated one. So if you're someone who's a bit uh, sensitive, like you know that, um, you know, you don't need a lot of dosage to have side effects, then I would go with just the box standard B. Um, if you've got quite a strong constitution, then the activated ones might be good. Um, obviously, I always select the Bs according to the genetic type. We do genetic testing because some people really genetically don't do very well with the active type. It's just too much. Yes. And it just increases that overthinking. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. That's why I mentioned it. Yeah. The other, the other couple of herbs. So you might do well. You actually um, might obviously, have, you know, I haven't seen your genetic testing, but you might do well with niacin, vitamin B3, to help reduce your stress levels. And you'd start small, yeah. So I would start with just 100 milligrams. Um, it, just know it can give you a flush. And um, if you get a flush, you can just open the capsule, chuck out half of it and, you know, start that way. But that can be really beneficial at bedtime to help improve your sleep for people who are, you know, very oh, cerebral. Okay. Wow. That's, that's a really good tip. I never considered uh, niacin. Uh, I have considered it for cholesterol lowering, uh, mm -hmm. LDL lowering, HDL raising. Uh, but I did experience flushes many years ago, so I discontinued it. But that's one yeah. I'll, I'll look, uh, look into again. I also want to mention, because we've got mm -hmm. uh, seven more minutes with you. I know you've got a meeting very soon. Yeah. What do you think of ashwagandha as, as a herb? Mm -hmm. I actually love, I love ashwagandha. Um, so ashwagandha I would use more in terms of the adaptive um sort of scenario and um basically it really helps to strengthen the nervous system it's a beautiful indian herb that's been used it's been around for you know for centuries and in ayurvedic medicine they use it a lot to calm sort of the air and space type the vata type that tends to be very much in their head um, so it's a wonderful herb for people who are sort of in that kind of rushed woman syndrome or you know rushed executive syndrome I tend to prefer to go more with herbs that really slow down the sympathetic nervous system. So the kava, passion flower, um, and lavender first. And then when they feel like there is more of a sense of calm and they've got more of a handle on things and regain that sense of self-control, then absolutely moving to ashwagandha, that can be really, uh, really, really great. Oh, beautiful. Now, I know a lot of people after many years of chronic stress start developing some anxieties or just anxiety. And a lot, a lot of these uh, herbs that you're mentioning might bring people, you know, into a zone that they're not used to and it might freak them out. Uh, I've personally experienced that many, many years ago where I was so used to being on the go all the time. Taking a supplement like L-theanine, uh, where it sort of brings you back down. That's a weird feeling for some. It's like unknown territory. Is that a negative or is that is that a thing? Is that a thing? And how do we overcome it? Do we just persist? Yeah. So generally speaking, um, so all, all of these substances I mentioned will give like, I mean, LCN is not volume. So it's, it's yes. not going to make you feel spaced out. It's not going to make you feel zonked out or having low energy. It will basically increase your clarity and it will be the equivalent of if someone were to take you from your very stressful situation and put you on a beach at sunset yeah. and go, just breathe. Yeah. So it's basically, it's, it's a very gentle 
uh, unfrazzling feeling. So I personally have never had someone having a, you know, a reaction that would take them to a point where like, oh my gosh, where am I, um, you know, what am I experiencing? I like um, people just not used to being relaxed. <laughs> like, okay, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that would be, um, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. So, I mean, really, if you're going to try these little hacks, then I presume that you are looking to change something in your life. And um, so, you know, first of all, like if you're on a medication, just double check, obviously we're not doing like a medical consult here. So no, know, be, be safe and, you know, be smart with it. Um, but the second thing is allow yourself to reconnect to that sense of curiosity that we lose so much as adults, you know, as adults really there's, there's a time I think when we go from child's routine and then those you know, those ages in the teen years and where we basically all of a sudden um, stop giving ourselves permission to experience joy, like boundless joy, um, you know, laughing out loud, belly laughter, uh, all of these things. We become so self-conscious and so attached to our sense of identity that we lose the ability to just be and, yeah. and being curious and um so I would then say, you know, if you're someone who is um, who finds it really difficult to be in different emotional states, then perhaps start with the breathing and the mindfulness techniques. There are so many gorgeous apps out there, or you can even just YouTube uh, mindfulness, breathing, relaxations, um, and start with that so that you can start dipping your toe in the water and then start to gently um, feel comfortable with that new sense of self and then use the herbs. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, before we go, I know sleep decimates stress, really good quality sleep. Yeah. So tell us just briefly about, I mean, uh, uh, people can go onto your uh, website and read the blog that you've written, but just tell us briefly about Revenge Bedtime Procrastination or RBP. Yeah, do you know, I've, I've literally had hundreds of people contact me about that with so many people saying, oh my God, that is me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So what are, what are the signs? How do we beat it? Okay. So tips on unwinding before bed. Yeah. All right. Revenge bedtime procrastination is that phenomenon where um, you, you know you're tired and you know that you would feel a lot better in the morning if you go to bed early. But because you've been so busy during the day, you feel a sense of being owed that nighttime space where maybe you put the kids to bed or you finish the emails, that is just you. And so you dig your heels in and you're tired, but you're still on the sofa and you're either binge watching Netflix or you're listening to podcasts and you just don't pick yourself up and take yourself to bed. We all do it. <laughs> we all do it. I think so you, at some point they'll find, uh, you know, a gene for this, I'm sure. It's my time. <laughs> you know, it's my time. And uh, yeah. Um, I think, you know, people, again, people are in position of responsibilities, whether you're a parent and now with homeschooling in Victoria or people yeah. with young children, yeah, or, um, you know, busy schedules during the day, lots of work, uh, service work, all of those things where you are a lot of attention out and looking after others. I mean, really, it makes sense. So my, my tip here is that if you're like, this is less nutritional and more psychological, yeah. uh, is about again finding those connection times with self 
And I know it sounds crazy because you go, how am I going to find those times? You make time. It doesn't take long. And it's more about having reminders, yeah, and attaching sort of mindfulness moments to specific anchors or things that you already do during the day. So um, maybe you always have a meeting first thing in the morning, or maybe you always check your emails as soon as you get to the office. Maybe you open your laptop as soon as you get to your, whatever it is, just make that your self-connection moment. Yeah. And really enjoy it. Be with self and cognitively think in terms of this is me time. Yeah. So making that, so having lots of those little me times, that's the first thing to do. The second thing is learn to say no. Yeah. Cause that's really important. And the third thing is channel some of that joyfulness chart that I mentioned earlier. I love that joyfulness chart. Yes. Yeah. yes so yeah. create for yourself a calendar. It will take you 15 minutes to do, do it today, you know, for the next two weeks and put something that is just for you. This is not for the kids. This is not to please anybody else mm. but you. And so it could be something like, you know, even if you're at work, buy yourself a luxurious hand cream. Yeah. And you're going to allow yourself 10 minutes with phone off, laptop closed, no disturbances to give yourself a hand massage. Um, if we were not in, um, you know, in lockdown, maybe go and get, you know, tomorrow you get your nails done or you want to go to the beach at six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Or you want to have that cup of coffee in the morning before your children yeah, jump on you and they want breakfast. Lock yourself somewhere. So really pick things that particularly allow you to connect to yourself through your senses. Yeah. So this is a, this is a, a very sensual joyfulness chart. Uh, so it can't be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to read, you know, um, two pages of that report that I really need to do. No, it has to be indulgent um, and decadent. So if it's a chocolate bar, have the chocolate bar, you know, and then the next day have something else feast your eyesight the next day or your hearing or whatever it is. It's amazing. Uh, so if you do that consistently, then you, by the time you get to the evening, you will feel that you've had time for yourself. And then I'm not saying go to bed at eight o'clock at night, but you know, if you're tired, then allow yourself one episode of something and then make the decision that you're going to bed. So say no to, Say no to Netflix. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or make it a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's a beautiful way to end. We circled uh, all the way back to that joyfulness uh, chart, and uh, uh, I can't believe an hour and fifteen minutes is already gone. Thank you so much for your time, uh, Alessandra. There's uh, we didn't get to it, but I want to also mention a blog you recently wrote on anxiety called "Never Assume Your Thoughts Are Real." Uh, highly recommend people read uh, that blog if they go to alessandraedwards.com. And um, before I finish as well, I always, um, Alessandra, I always have a tagline for most of my <laughs> people that appear on my podcast or, uh, or the, uh, the thought leaders that I know and connect with regularly and you would know the same ones. Your tagline would have to be that, uh, and one that I hear time and time again from people that work with closely with you, is this, <laughs> Alessandra has changed my life. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but I hear it so many times from people that have worked closely with you. 
And uh, I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing out there because I've met some senior executives who uh, you work with uh, that, you know, their work life is so good that their, you know, their personal health and their energy and their personal life has just become so depleted and you lift them back up to the place where they belong, where they deserve. So I want to really thank you for the work that you're doing on that front. Working one-on-one with people is very difficult. I know how much it takes out of you, but you give so much to those uh, relationships. So I highly recommend everyone that's listening to go to alessandraedwards.com and uh, have a look at uh, some of the work that Alessandra is producing. So thank you again, Alessandra. Thanks, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things a higher branch and with the latest information from our incredible faculty of members and contributors, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to watch things, then head on over to our YouTube channel by the same name, a higher branch and subscribe to that also. And if you want to go onto our mail list where you will receive even more special premieres and some really special offerings, head on over to ahigherbranch.com and sign up to our mail list where you will receive a free copy of my ebook Guide to Greatness but you will also be on the mail list to be the first to receive a copy of my next book The Circle of Conscious Living which is due out later this year. Anyway, thank you again for listening and I hope to be with you next time.